Well, good morning. We are continuing our study of the book of Revelation, and we find ourselves in chapter 12 um, this morning. Uh, chapter 11, if you remember, we saw the temple of God, a literal temple in the holy city, which is literally Jerusalem. We saw two witnesses who were literally two uh, people that will be alive during that time period, and Wednesday night. Uh, we gave our best guess as to who those two will be and to when their ministry will be. And uh, in the end of the chapter, we've got the people rejoicing in the temple in heaven. Now, uh, heaven is happy about what's going on because God's kingdom is being inaugurated in the earth. But the devil, on the other hand, is not so sure. He's not so happy about that. So that brings us to chapter 12 today, and chapter 12 is going to, uh, is going to show us what's going on from the, an, from the angel's perspective, okay? So uh, keep that in mind as we go through that we're looking at things from the angel's perspective today, the unseen world. There is a world that's far more real than anything you see with your natural eyes, and it explains what's going on in our world today. There's a, there's a conflict that's going on. So I guess before we get started, I'll just ask Preacher Larry, and I'm glad to have him back, glad he's feeling better, uh, if he would pray for me and pray for God would open up our hearts. Amen. Thank you. All right, so verse 1 says, Now a great sign, uh, King James says wonder, the Greek word is simeon, it's usually translated as sign. A great sign appeared in heaven. So, uh, this is the most symbolic of all the chapters in the book of Revelation. Mo that, but that tells us that most of the time we should interpret what we read literally unless we're told otherwise. Okay? So John tells us that this is a sign or this is a wonder. And so uh, that tells us that what we're dealing with is symbolic uh, imagery. Now, <clears throat> there's, there's four women... In the book of Revelation, there's Jezebel, there's this woman here, there is the harlot in Revelation uh, 17, and then there's the bride of Christ. So, who is this woman? It says she's clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and the idea is that the moon is supporting her, not that she's trampling on it. And on her head is a garland, or a crown, a, a Stephanus crown, of how many stars? Twelve stars, okay? Now, a lot of interpreters here get in trouble because they, they want to say that this is the church, that the woman is the church because they see the church everywhere. But um, there, there's a big problem with that, and I'll show you in just a minute. Some say it's Mary. Um, it could include her, but not limited to Mary exclusively. The identity of the woman... Turn with me to Jeremiah 31, and we'll figure out who this woman is. And James, if you'll just read 35 and 36 of Jeremiah 31. You can just read off the board, I guess. You know, I guess you don't have to turn there, but 
If you want to fact check me, turn in your Bible. You should be doing that anyway. Amen. Don't believe it because I say it. Believe it because God says it. That's right. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-five. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for the light of light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for the light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. 36. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. All right. Thank you. We got your microphone on there. I think I turned, I put it on pause. Are you live? See on? There we go. Yeah. That's my fault. Um, the world wants to get rid of Israel. And if they want to get Israel, get rid of Israel, they're going to have to do two things. They're going to have to destroy the sun and the moon. And that's not going to happen, is it? The greatest proof of the existence of God is the nation of Israel. The whole world wants to get rid of her. She's about the size of New Jersey. And yet, to this day, she still exists. Amen? Well, I know some of you are still not convinced that this woman is the nation of Israel. And we're not left to our sanctified imaginations either. Thankfully, God has put in His Word... Uh, an identical parallel in the book of Genesis. So turn with me now to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37. Now our friend Joseph... He's going to dream a dream. James, would you read verses 9 and 10? And he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the unleavened stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And All right. That's good. Thank you. Um, so the moon and the, the 12 stars and the sun is Jacob. A lot of commentators miss this. They say it's Rachel. It's not Rachel. Rachel's dead by the time Joseph has this dream. It's actually Leah. Leah, uh, if, if you've done your homework, you know that Leah is actually the mother of Judah, who is the tribe from which Jesus Christ comes from. And I think this is kind of cool. This is just me here. This is, this is nothing uh, particular you need to be obsessed with. But you know in the Bible, Leah, she's not really favored, is she? Uh, Rachel is, but Leah... I think the King James says she was tender-eyed. It's probably not the girl you want to ask out on a date, you know. If she's, she's, but Rachel's favored. But here, there's a reversal, isn't there? God has made Leah uh, in a favored position. And I think that's really neat. Now, it's interesting. The commentators, they don't know who the, the, the sun and the moon and the 12 stars are. But Jacob understood it, didn't he? How do we know? Because he was mad. He understood it. So the woman... 
is Israel. Let's go back to Revelation 12 now. Revelation 12. James, let's just tag team this, this thing. I'm going to let you do a lot of reading here. Since we don't have many people here today, we're just going to uh, make it seem like there's a lot more going on. <laughs> um, would you read verse 2? And she being with child, and she being with child care, uh, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. All right, so this can't be the church because this girl's pregnant, and the church is a virgin. So that'd be, that'd be troublesome, wouldn't it? Find out your bride was pregnant on your wedding day, um, <laughs> if she's supposed to be a virgin. Um, she's crying uh, in travail. This goes all the way back to Genesis. Go back to Genesis 3. Now, Genesis 3 is the first prophecy of a redeemer that... Uh, James, you want to read that off the board there? Genesis three fifteen and 16. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And that shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So the seed of the woman, that's an interesting phrase. I think that's a reference to the, uh, to the virgin birth here. Look at verse 3. Read that, James. Revelation 12, verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. All right, so there's another sign. This is a red dragon, speaks of his uh, fierceness. And uh, he's fierce. Uh, I guess this is where we get the idea of a red suit, you know, on the dragon, but the dragon is no joke here. We'll talk more about his, uh, his heads next week, if you'll allow me to table the discussion. Go ahead and read verse 4 now. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So the dragon... Um, I've got up here Luke 4, verses 5 and 6. You want to read that? It's just and the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will get, I will I give it. So the devil's in charge of the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus didn't argue with him about that. Now we're told in verse 3 
excuse me, verse 4, that his tail drew a third of the stars. Okay, and we believe that's uh, the angels, that a third of the angels fell with him when he fell. Let's go to Satan's fall now. Turn with me to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. And we studied this on Wednesday night a few weeks ago. So this should be fresh in your mind. And James, whenever you get there, if you'd read verses 11 through 19. Yes, sir. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets, and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created, till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee, with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty, and thou hast corrupted the wisdom by reason of thy brightness. And I will cast thee to the ground, I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all of them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee, and thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. Yes, thank God for that. A few things I want to bring out. Uh, he was the anointed cherub. That He was the head of the angels, I believe. And the first verse he read is, says, You're the seal of perfection. He was the most beautiful angel. He was full of wisdom when he was created. But notice in verse 17 that his wisdom was corrupted. Notice also he's a created being. Let's go to Isaiah now. Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. And James, if you read 12 through 14. These are the five I will statements of Satan. How have you fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn? You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. 
But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. <laughs> so that's what he wants, right? He wants to be God. All right, so let's go back to Revelation 12 now. And you'll notice in verse, at the end of verse 4, it says, The dragon was standing over the woman, ready to kill the baby. Okay? That explains Cain and Abel. That explains Genesis 6. It explains, uh, what are my notes here? Haman, uh, Jacob and Esau, Athaliah. What about King Herod? When Jesus was born, he wanted to kill all the babies. What about Pharaoh wanting to kill all the babies? That explains that Satan did not want the seed of the woman uh, to be born. But he was not able to stop this process. Now verse 5 says, She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was called up to God and to his throne. Now who is that male child? Everybody agrees it's Jesus. Now here's yet another reason why the church can't be the woman. is because the woman didn't give birth to the Jesus. Jesus gave birth to the church, right? So the woman can't be the church. It's Israel. This is an echo of uh, Psalm 2. James, you want to read that? I've got it up on the board there. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, and thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Okay. Then in Revelation 2, Jesus says that God's talking about himself there. Uh, James, did you read Revelation 2, 26 and 27? And he that overcometh, and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. All right, so this is Jesus, right? He's the man-child that's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. All right, let's go back to Revelation 12. Called up to God and to his throne. And I believe this is the ascension. This is when Jesus ascended. All right, you want to read verse 6? And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God, and they should feed her there a thousand, two hundred, and threescore days. So how long is that period of time? Three and a half years. We've seen that over and over, haven't we? This flight is described in Matthew 24. Let's look at Matthew 24 now. Jesus predicted this. If you want to read uh, 15 through uh, 21 there. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation 
spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great, the great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, and nor ever shall be. All right, so this is the flight that we see in Revelation uh, 12. Notice it says, uh, go back to Revelation 12 now. It says, they should feed her. I believe that's talking about uh, Gentiles. That's the sheep and goat judgment we'll get to at some point, Matthew 25. Verse 7 of Revelation 12. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. Notice the angels are led by who? Michael. Michael's the archangel. Um, I know we like to talk a lot about Gabriel, but the Bible speaks of Michael being the leader of the angels, just like Satan was the leader of his, uh, his group. Turn with me to Daniel 12. Are you seeing how all this fits together like a jigsaw puzzle? I hope you are. Daniel 12, verse 1. You read that, James? And at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince which standeth before, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Okay, would you read verse 7 also? gives us the time period. And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. So you see, three and a half years, Michael standing up, war in heaven. Okay? Could it be any more clear? I don't think so. All right, let's go back to Revelation 12. I just want to bookmark Revelation 12 by now if you haven't already. <laughs> Put your thumb there or something. The devil and his angels fought, but did they win? No. The devil will never win. If you follow the devil, you're following the losing side. If you follow Jesus Christ, you're on the winning side. All right, verse 8. And prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. All right. So right now, Satan has access to heaven. We read about that in Job. But he's going to lose his access. Go ahead and read verse uh, 9 now. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, 
which giveth the whole world, excuse me, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. All right. Five things I want you to notice here. Um, well, back up to verse 8. Notice Jesus is not involved in the conflict. You know why? Because he's going to let the angels take care of that. Because Satan is not equal to God. Amen? All right, uh, verse 9. I want you to see uh, several things. He's a dragon that speaks of his ferocity. He's a serpent. Uh, he's, uh, he's a deceiver. He, uh, he tricked Eve in the garden as a serpent. He's the devil. He's a slanderer. He's Satan. That word means adversary. You have an adversary. You have an enemy. And number five, he's a deceiver. He deceives the whole world. Now, this is not in my notes, but turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. Notice this, he deceives the whole world. 1 John's not far from Revelation. Just turn back a few books. First John 5, James, would you read verse 19? And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. The whole world lies in the lap or the sway of the evil one. All right, let's go back to Revelation 12. It's like a boomerang, isn't it? All right, you want to read verse 10? And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Uh, now Satan has access to God right now, but not so he can praise and worship. You know what he's doing right now? He's accusing you and me day and night before the Father. That's why you, uh, some of us are riddled with guilt. It's because we're always hearing the voice of the accuser. God's not the accuser. God doesn't condemn the believer. He doesn't. I felt strongly that somebody needed to hear this, and so I wanted to include this extra little bit here. Go ahead and read verse 11, James, of Revelation 12. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Folks, we're going to overcome. You know why? Because of the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb is the remedy for a guilty conscience. If there's somebody in here today or listening today and your conscience is killing you, and you can't get over your past, please listen to me. Somebody needs to hear this. You're going to overcome this thing not by doing penance, not by trying to make up for what you've done bad, because you can never repay your debt. We owe a debt we can never repay. 
you're going to overcome, and I'm going to overcome by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb is the remedy for a guilty conscience. 1 John 1, 9. You want to read that, James? It's just right there on the board. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. That means if you confess it to Him, and to confess in the Greek is homologia, it just means to agree with what God said. You just say, God, I have sinned against you. I'm confessing this to you. And God says he'll wipe the slate clean. All right, First uh, John 2, verse, verses 1 and 2. Would you read that? My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. Right, stop right there. This is not a license to sin, John says. He says, I'm writing to you that you won't sin. Because sin separates us from God. It hinders our fellowship if we're believers. And if we're, not, if we're not saved, it's going to be our undoing. Okay, I'm sorry. Keep on, James. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now look, we've got an accuser, right? And he's who? The devil. And you know what the Bible says? That he accuses us before God how often? That's the same phrase that's used of the, uh, the four living creatures who praise God day and night, holy, holy, holy. Day and night, he's accusing us. He's the accuser. But we have an advocate. Amen? Mm. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We have an advocate. These are legal terms, by the way. Satan will be a prosecutor. I've got a defense attorney that's never lost a case. <laughs> Hallelujah. And see, if you're saved, you've been justified. That's a legal term. And there's no double jeopardy here. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. All right, 1 John 4, verse 10. Would you read that, James? Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation, that's why I wanted to use it. That word propitiation means that it satisfies the righteous demands of a holy God. The only thing that will satisfy the righteous demands of a holy God is not good works. It is the blood of Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. All right, back to Revelation 12. The blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they don't, they don't love their lives unto the death. Jesus said if we seek to save our life, we'll lose it. But if we lose our life for His sake, we'll find it. Praise God. Amen. All right. Verse 12, you want to read that? Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to them the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Mm. Time's running out. Time's running out. Heaven's excited and the devil is mad. And I don't care. Just like Jimmy Crack Corn. Right? <laughs> some of y'all get that, some of you don't. It's okay. 
<laughs> All right. He's got a short time. How long? Three and a half years, right? Notice there's several great things. There's a great sign. Uh, there's a great dragon. He's got great wrath. We're going to see a great eagle here in just a moment. Now, uh, all right, verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Now, there are folks that are just bound and determined to put the church here. I, I told you last week, it's the old McDonald theology. You know, here's the church, there's the church, everywhere the church, church. But the church didn't give birth to Jesus, did it? If the church is on the earth, the devil will be persecuting who? The church. But who is the devil persecuting here? The woman, right? And the woman represents who? Israel. Another proof that the church is not here during this time period. All right, verse 14. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she nourished for a time, and times and a half a time. All right, how long is that? Three and a half years. Is God showing the pattern? He's trying to say, hey, look, guys, this is where we are, the midpoint of the tribulation period. Now, some people, and I won't mention any names, but um, some of the most popular preachers, some of my favorite ones, they see the two wings of an eagle here, and they say that that must be the United States of America. If I told you one name, I'd be, I'm not going to do it because I, I, I don't want you to stop listening to him. Okay? <laughs> if you want to know in private, I'll tell you in private. Uh, he says it's the United States Air Force. No way, Jose. Uh, if the United States is here, we're Israel's greatest ally. There's no need to sign a deal with Antichrist if we're here. Okay? By this point in time, the world is divided into ten regions. And, I, and we'll get into that later. Scripture is its own interpreter. Okay. And I know we like to see ourselves in everything, don't we? We see the church everywhere. We see America's everywhere. But the Bible tells us, it explains to us the symbol of the eagle. We're not left to our own uh, sanctified imagination here. So go with me to the book of Exodus. I hope by now you have seen all of the parallels between the book of Exodus. This is Israel's last exodus here. Do you see the same imagery? She's gone into the wilderness. She's being taken care of, just like God took care of the Jews in the Exodus period. The plagues are coming down. Pharaoh's heart is being hardened. The earth dwellers are rebellious. God's people are being delivered. Are you seeing the parallels? Exodus 19. Did I say 17? Exodus 19. Now God's getting ready to give the law. The Ten Commandments to, to a, a particular nation. Is he giving it to the United States? No, no who? <laughs> Israel, right? James, you want to read that verse? Verse 4. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. So the eagles' wings are God. God is the one who's helping out Israel, not the United States Air Force. Thank God for the Air Force. Praise God. Thank God for the Armory and for the Marines and the Navy and the National Guard. But, but that's not the idiom here. All right. Uh, Deuteronomy. 
As eagles stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. That was Deuteronomy 32, verse 11 and 12. So with verse 12 it says, so the U.S. Air Force, is that what it says? The Lord alone. God didn't need any help, right? The Lord alone did lead him, and there was no stranger. So, and that's what's happening here. Back to Revelation 12. Boomerang. We're almost, we're almost done. All right, verse 15. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. So he cast out of his mouth water. Notice what is as and like. What figure of speech is that? It's a simile, right? Um, now, there are some commentators that think he's literally bringing a, a, a flood of water, and that could be. But I tend, this is a symbolic chapter, and there's a simile there, and so I tend to think that this flood is symbolic. Uh, often the flood is symbolic of a military invasion. Daniel 9, 26, you want to read that? And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood and unto the end of the war desolations are determined okay so that happened uh, the temple was destroyed for the second time in when 70 AD now was it a literal flood was it destroyed by water it was destroyed by who Romans the, the Roman army and they had sieged Jerusalem for years, they had been hemming them in. And Jesus predicted that they would do that, and so did Daniel. It's amazing how God's Word comes to pass, isn't it? Yes. That's why you should be interested in prophecy, because it's proof of the Bible, that, that it's real. Okay, Isaiah 59, 19, you want to read that? So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west, and His glory from the rising of the sun, when the enemy shall come in like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. All right, so again, the flood is symbolic of, a, of an enemy, a battle, a battle with the enemy. Back to Revelation 12. Boomerang again. In verse 16. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. Now, this could be literal here, um, like an earthquake or something. R remember Korah? How he was swallowed up by the earth, remember that? All right, um, verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God 
and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So the devil is angry with the woman. Uh, the earth, the earth helped the woman again. Maybe it's like maybe it's like the parting of the Red Sea, you know, where the children of Israel went on dry ground. I don't know, but these are all echoes of this this kind of thing. Now, who are the rest of her offspring? Well, apparently, these are the ones who didn't flee to the wilderness. And I, I'm inclined to believe this would include the 144,000. Uh, believers are going to be killed during this time period, whether they're Gentiles or Jews. So these movies that have got people, you know, eating dehydrated food and using shortwave radios and surviving the tribulation period, that's a bunch of... Uh, I'm trying to find a word that's not a cuss word. So It's junk. That's a Greek word. It's baloney. That's, that's pie in the sky stuff. If you're a believer in the last half of the tribulation period, you're going to be killed. Plain and simple. Except for the, the Jews. They're the only ones that are protected. So there's a problem for all these mid-trib, post-trib guys that says, well, the church is going to go through the tribulation period. The only ones who are protected in the tribulation period are the Jews. The 144,000 are sealed, and these who obey Jesus and flee into the wilderness, they're nourished for a time, times, and half a time. They're protected from the woman, and most commentators believe that they're going to flee into the rock city of Petra, which is in modern-day Jordan. There's three areas that the Antichrist is not able to conquer. I, I can't get into that today. It's uh, Daniel 11. I, but there's three areas that he's not able to conquer, and one of those is modern-day the kingdom of Jordan, where there's a rock city of Petra that is a, quite, would be quite a fortress for the children of Israel to flee. But most of the people who are believers during this time are killed. Okay? So this idea, well, I'll just wait and get saved later. You're playing with uh, literal fire. This explains to us, this helps us to understand why, you, you know the history of all the world empires, whether it be Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece or Rome, they all had a common hostility. And who was that vented toward? Israel. Okay? There's a reason why the world hates Israel. It's because Satan knows that in order for Jesus Christ to come again, the Israeli people, and I get goosebumps thinking about it, this godly remnant who has fled to Petra, and they're counting the days down because they know it's only 1,260 days and they're marking every day off. And every day I bet those folks are having a prayer meeting. Oh, dear God. I believe they're having a praise and a worship meeting. Just like Paul and Silas had a prayer and a praise meeting even when they were in jail. And the, who knows, God may feed them with manna again. They're nourished for a time... Uh, you know, in, in, in the Exodus, in the wilderness wanderings, the Bible says that their shoes didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out. Well, wouldn't that be great? Not to have to buy another pair of shoes. Now, the women are thinking, oh, that would be terrible. But all the men, we got like one pair of shoes. We got one dress shoe and one shoe for everything else, right? And we're thinking, man, that would be great. Get 40 years. I believe God's going to protect these people. And I believe they're going to be huddled together in that rock city. I can just see it in my mind's eye. And in Hebrew... They're saying, Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai. Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Jesus said, I'm going to leave this place in Matthew 23. I'm leaving this temple. You're not going to see my face again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. And they're going to pray that prayer. And there was a door open in heaven in Revelation 4, and John goes up, and I believe the church goes up. In Revelation 19, the door is open in heaven again, and guess what? Nobody's going up. Jesus is coming down, and we're coming down with him. Glory to God. There's an army that followed him on white horses, and we're coming down to see our brothers and sisters in that rock city of Petra, and we're going to say, hold on, hold on. Salvation is coming, is coming from heaven to the earth, and Jesus Christ is going to put his feet and on the Mount of Olives, and that thing's going to split in two. Glory to God. Hallelujah. This explains the hostility. Now, here's the reality. This is my last slide. No, it's not. Sorry. Next to last. <laughs> Jeremiah 37 says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of whose trouble? Jacob's. Who is Jacob? Israel. But, there's a but there, he shall be what? Saved Saved out of it. The second coming of Jesus Christ for the Jews is a rescue mission. For the world, it's judgment. For the the earth dwellers, it's death. For the Jews, it's going to be salvation. It's a rescue mission. Zechariah 13. Now, here's the sobering thought. Here's the sobering thought. Verse 8, it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, and this is a prophecy of the second coming, two parts therein shall be cut off and die. And the third part shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire. What fire is that? The tribulation. And I will refine them as silver is refined, and I will try them as gold is tried. And they shall do what? Call Call on my name. And I will hear them, and I will say, It is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. It's coming, folks. Now, during Hitler's Holocaust, which some of the schools are now teaching never happened, and beloved, that wasn't that far, that wasn't that long ago. One man, through his persuasive words and speeches, was able to deceive and, and sadly, many of the pulpits look the other way in Europe. That's why this replacement theology stuff is bad news. It helped the Holocaust. It didn't cause it, but it helped it. During that Holocaust, a third of the Jews died, six million. Right now, if the rapture were to happen today, there are 16 million Jews on the earth. And that means that nearly 10 million, 666 thousand six hundred and sixty six that's kind of creepy isn't it would die ten million Jews would die the dragon however he will never win this is the last slide the dragon will never win Jeremiah 31 (laughs) and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor And every man his brother saying, know the Lord. They're not going to need Sunday school anymore. They're not going to need evangelism. For they shall, how many? All know me. From the least of them unto the greatest, saith the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. This is the Jews. This is the Jews. 
Romans eleven twenty five. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel, big word, until, until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. What is that fullness of the Gentiles coming in? Folks, it's not spelled out for you. That's a circumlocution. It's a, it's a long-winded way of saying the rapture. When the fullness of Gentiles has come in, then what's going to happen? Israel's going to be saved. All Israel. Now, remember, two-thirds of them are going to be purged, but by the end of the tribulation period, there will be no unbelievers in Israel. I think it's Ezekiel 20. He's going to bring them under the rod, and he's going to purge out all the rebels from among them. So by the time we get to the end of the tribulation period, there are no unbelieving Jews. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the who? The deliverer. He's the rescuer. It's a rescue mission. And I just can't get over that fact, Brother Ronnie, as I'm thinking about it. We're coming with him. We're coming with him. And he shall turn away all ungodliness from the church. Is that what it says? <laughs> from who? From, they're called Jacob here. And, and the reason is, you'll, you'll might, you might notice this when you read the Old Testament. Uh, when, when Jacob wrestled with the angel, remember that? Yeah. And the angel said to Yaakov, Jacob, what is your name? And he said, Yaakov. It means the heel catcher, the supplanter. Some say trickster. And God says, that's not your name anymore. Your name is Yisrael. You're a prince with God. Often throughout the Old Testament, you will see God referring to them, not as Israel, but as Jacob. And that's because they're, 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 uh, they're backslidden. Okay? But here, this, is, this shows that Israel, there's a play on words here. It might not be evident to the casual reader. Who's going to be saved? Israel's going to be saved, and he's going to turn away ungodliness from who? Jacob. They're not going to be Jacob anymore. You see that? They're not going to be Jacob anymore. They're going to be Israel because they're going to be in faith. All right. Now, how does, that apply? How does any of this apply to us? You say, well, we're, we're going to be out of here. Why should I care about this? You should care about this, number one, because how our country relates to Israel will determine how our future goes. God told Abraham, I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. Okay? But for the church, there is an application here because Satan is going to vent all of his anger toward the woman in the last days in the tribulation period. But right now, guess who's bearing the brunt of his attack? The church is. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, We wrestle not, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. That's fourfold designation. Four means the world. Right now, you and I are engaged in spiritual warfare. Okay? Now, we can choose to put our head in the sand and ignore it and pretend like it's not happening. Or we can be so consumed with it that we see a demon in everything. Okay? But you need to understand that you and I are involved in a cosmic battle that goes all the way back to Genesis 3. A cosmic battle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. So how are we going to fight our battles? We're not fighting with swords and spears. We take on the whole armor of God. That we may be able to fight against the devil and overcome him. Would you stand?
We haven't even got to the second half of the tribulation period and half of the world's population has been destroyed. And God's getting ready to pour out these seven bowls of wrath and it's going to be literally hell on earth. God's given one last preview before the lake of fire of what torment is like and it's going to be terrible. If you die without Jesus Christ right now, your fate will be far worse than those in the tribulation period. It'll be far worse. I talked about the devil accusing us day and night. The four living creatures, they praise God, holy, holy, day and night. You know what it says later on in the book of Revelation? That those who worship the dragon, those who are lost, they'll be tormented day and night. There's no such thing as annihilation. You say, well, Henry, that sounds really severe. Well, it is severe. But the good news is you don't have to go there. Nobody, God doesn't send anybody to hell. God gives you what you want. If you want to be saved, God says right now, the price has been paid. Jesus Christ died for your sin, for my sin on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. He rose again the third day. And if we'll come to him and admit that we're a sinner and confess to him, the Bible says he clearly that he will forgive us. I mean, how easy is that? That's the great exchange, Martin Luther said. It, won't, it will never get any better. You won't find a better deal anywhere. You give God all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your dirty, filthy rags, and God says, I'll give you a robe of righteousness, I'll give you a new name, and I'll wipe you so clean that every sin and all unrighteousness is, is taken away. Maybe you're a believer here today. You're struggling with sin. Your, your conscience is killing you. Maybe things are not going well in your life because you're under the chastisement of God. Well, guess what? It's a simple remedy. You just simply right now agree with what God says, confess the sin, and get on with it. Don't spend another day with that old guilty conscience just killing you. Don't do it. Don't leave here with that guilty conscience. Confess it to God, and God says, I'm taking it away from you. As far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. Oh, yeah, the accuser, he's going to throw it up. And when he reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Amen. Amen. Come, I'm gonna, come on, I'm not going to preach anymore.